Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> well, hello there. So wonderful to see you return yet again to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker. Come in the door. I have something very special to show you today. If you'll uh, follow me over here to this little alcove we like to consider this the art gallery of odds bodkins curiosity shop you'll see pieces of art from all over the world from all eras of art some of this world some of maybe another world and this piece over here on the wall if you'll take a look it is a classic piece a painting by edvard monk called the scream if you'll notice, this character in this painting has an elongated face, almost spine-chilling, almost bordering on agony. And while this character feels alien in some regards, it feels very familiar in other regards. It is a wondrous oddity indeed that we uh, cherish here at Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. And therein lies a tie to what we're talking about on today's episode of the podcast. So let's pull out the kinetoscope and take a look at the new film Scream 6 So if you're a regular listener to uh, Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop over the years, uh, the past couple years that we've been doing this podcast, you may have heard me make reference to the Scream franchise and how I am not a fan. Now that is a really complicated thing and one that I'm, I'm I'm a little ashamed of because I have only watched Scream 1, the first Scream that came out back in 1996. And I, I probably caught bits and pieces of two over the years, you know, flipping through channels, what have you, but I never actually sat down and watched two. And I didn't watch any of the other ones. The original Scream had turned me off so much. And and I have to admit, I, I am a Wes Craven fan. I love the Nightmare on Elm Street uh, franchise. I love the one that he was involved with, with the original Nightmare on Elm Street. I love some of his work, other work, uh, Last House on the Left, People Under the Stairs, The Hills Have Eyes. But what Wes Craven did with Scream, it was just not my cup of tea. I really wanted my slashers to be slashers. I didn't like the whole meta thing. I don't like the meta uh, existence we live in now. I certainly didn't like it back in 1996. Now, that's not to say uh, Scream in hindsight isn't a, a decent movie. And, and we'll kind of talk about that, uh, how I feel about the rest of the franchise uh, before we get into talking about this new uh, Scream 6. But uh, I, I just didn't, I didn't like what they were doing with the franchise. And I had no interest in watching some teenager running around in a Halloween mask, uh, flipping and flopping all over the place. It just didn't, it didn't scare me. It didn't make me want to scream. But then this new scream is coming out and I'm like, okay, they've kind of got me interested in this. 
It seems like they've moved away from the Sidney Prescott stuff. It seems like this scream feels like there's something different. I When I watched the trailers, and, and it really has to do with how the trailer was cut, it almost felt like there was a supernatural aspect to this, which the Scream franchise has always lacked, which I always enjoy in my slasher movies. It, it makes it feel like an insurmountable force uh, when the slasher has some supernatural angle to it. Not that that's necessary. And I think what they did with the ghost face character in this made the, the character more menacing without it having to be a supernatural character. Again, more things I'm going to get into uh, when we talk about the movie proper. But this Scream 6 made me think, okay, this might be worth a watch. This might be worth talking about. And I was like, well, I can't talk about this unless I know what I'm talking about. And I've watched all the other Scream films so I can compare it to what had come before. What makes this different from all the other ones? And I can't differentiate that if I don't know what all the other ones brought to the table. So I embarked on a quest to watch all of the Scream movies uh, before I watched Scream 6. Uh, almost, I almost did it. Uh, I did end up watching them all, but uh, we'll, we'll get into that as well uh, in a little bit. But I, I decided to start watching. I didn't rewatch Scream 1 because I'd seen that, uh, you know, two, three times over the years. I know the movie well enough, so I didn't feel like I needed to rewatch that. So I watched two, three, four. I couldn't get five in before I went and saw Scream 6, but then my wife and I watched Scream 5 uh, the very next night. So, so I got all of them in. And I have to say right off the bat, having not watched five and having gone from four straight to six, once I came out of the movie theater, my wife asked me, uh, she didn't go watch it with me. We'll watch it again together uh, so she can see it once it comes out on streaming but uh, she asked me how was it and I said it's a praise Jesus miracle because I've actually just watched the first Scream movie I really liked uh, now granted I hadn't watched five yet and we'll get into my thoughts on that here in a, in a minute but uh, I really enjoyed Scream 6 and I had not enjoyed a Scream movie. Uh, one, you could say I quasi-enjoyed it. I didn't like what they were doing with it. Two, three, and four, I just I didn't like it all. Uh, and we'll, we'll get into that real briefly before we get into talking about the movie. And then when I finally watched Scream 5 the next night, there again, I, I enjoyed it for some of the same reasons I enjoyed Part 6. Uh, but then there were, there were aspects of that that I didn't like because it really kind of adhered to the same formulas of one through four. I didn't hate the movie like I hated some of the other ones. And hate may be a strong word, but I didn't dislike five like I disliked two, three, and four, and maybe even one to some degree. But part five wasn't as good as part six. Now, just briefly, I want to go over some of the things I liked and didn't like about those first four, maybe five movies. Uh, the thing about Scream 1, is, and, and the, the redeeming quality, I think, that Scream 1 brings to the table that the other, uh, at least two, three, and four didn't, maybe five as well can be lumped in there, is that Scream, the original 1996 movie, was so different. I mean, they were doing things that were never done in a horror movie before, quite quite literally. I mean, they they were referencing other horror movies 
people in the movie knew how to react in a horror movie because they'd seen all the horror movies. You had all these red herrings as to who Ghostface was, and they all really didn't come to fruition because it was a lot of misleads and the fact that it was two killers in this, where all the other slasher movies, it's Michael Myers, it's Leatherface, it's Jason, it's Chucky, it's Freddy Krueger. There was the one main bad guy in all of those, and this one, you had two killers. There were actually two ghost face, uh, which there again was interesting. It was kind of different, but then it got kind of played out with the, with the other ones. Except for three, every other movie had multiple ghost face in it. And that's another thing I didn't really like about a lot of the Scream movies, uh, especially one through four, is that there were so many red herrings and so many misleading uh, bits of dialogue and shots and so much misdirect that everything you saw was pointing you in the direction of somebody that was not the killer. And then when they reveal who the killer is, it was a person that you were never given any sense that they had the relationship to Sydney that they they claim to have when the big reveal happens. So to me, that breaks a, a rule of whodunits that maybe maybe it's a self-imposed rule. Or, but if, if you're going to do a whodunit, you have to at least leave some little breadcrumb or some minor breadcrumb trail that the viewer can actually help figure out the mystery. You don't want to give it away. You don't want to make it so easy that they were like, oh, that's who this is. That's who the killer is, you know, before the end of the first act. You don't want to make it that easy. But by the end of it, you at least want the audience to say, oh, yeah, it all makes sense now because this happened and this happened and this was said and that was implied. And, you know, if you don't figure it out, you at least you feel like you could have got there if you were just paying attention a little more. They kind of do that in part five and in part six, but in all the other ones, maybe Scream 1, I, I don't remember that as well as I think I do uh, looking back, but at least 2, 3, and 4, the reveal of who Ghostface was was totally out of the blue because you would have never guessed it because you were never given any hint as to who these characters uh, that are Ghostface uh, might be or, or their relationship to Sidney Prescott or or why they would even be Ghostface in the first place. In part two, you have the Lori Metcalf character, who is just a reporter, and she's sniping back and forth with Gail Weathers, and there's nothing in there that would make you think that that was Billy Loomis's mother. And there was never an opportunity for me to make that connection and figure that out for myself, or even, like I said, in, in hindsight, say, oh, I see where this was said, and that was kind of a reference to something else, and and I, I could have known that she was his mother. So that's one of my biggest gripes about the Scream movies. Another one of my big gripes is the fact that, and, and uh, for better or worse, Kevin Williamson's involvement with it, because Kevin Williamson is known for his TV work with Dawson's Creek, with Vampire Diaries. I don't know if he had any involvement in the casting, but uh, the way he wrote these, they cast, and, and and maybe it doesn't have anything to do with Kevin Williamson at all, but they cast a lot of uh, TV actors to play these roles in these movies. And that's one of the things I hated about horror in the 90s is that Party of Five and Dawson's Creek, uh, they were trying so damn hard to make these TV actors who are TV stars, trying to turn them into film actors and film stars. And 
And a lot of it just didn't work. I mean, you have Nev Campbell, who's who's a really good actress. She's a good TV actress. As a leading lady in a film, I just, eh, I don't think she's that great. And she's supposed to carry this film and this film franchise. And I never really feel like I like her in these movies. It's not that I hate her. It's not that I don't want to see her die. I just... I just never connect with her just because I I don't know. Maybe her performance is just a a little too one note, Uh, not weak and whimpery, but not super strong and Sarah Connor's T2-esque. But to me, it just feels a a little wishy-washy. And and I know a lot of people are going to disagree with me on that. A lot of people love Sidney Prescott, uh, love the character. Uh, I just, it's never done anything for me. Half the time, she just feels along for the ride as things happen to her because she never figures out who Ghostface is. Ghostface is always revealed in some big Bond villain style. Ghostface reveals himself and then tells her what happened, tells her how this happened to her. The Sydney Prescott character actually only really became interesting to me until part five when she's a, a more mature woman. Her voice is, has matured and doesn't sound like a, a whiny teen all the time, even though she wasn't really a teen when she, she filmed the screen movie. She just kind of had that uh, teen vibe to her. It's why she was always cast and shit like that. But when she was older and, and more mature and I'm like, this is an, in- she's turned into an interesting character. Uh, that's not so dismayed teen that uh, I wanted to see more of her. And then we really didn't get any more of her in part five. Uh, Her and the Gail Weathers character were just there just to be a legacy character and there in name only and didn't really have much bearing on the films at all, which is kind of a shame. And then the fact that Nev Campbell didn't uh, appear in part six, which we'll get into. But another thing I, I really don't like about the Scream franchise is Ghostface uh, himself. Uh, the, you know, it's an interesting look, the costume and everything, but they always portrayed Ghostface, especially in one through four. And I, I lay this all on the feet of Wes Craven. Like I said, I'm a Wes Craven fan. I don't think he's as great as a lot of people. You know, some people worship him as a, a horror god. I don't know if I'd go that far outside of A Nightmare on Elm Street. Some of his horror movies are just kind of so-so. But I lay it at his feet the way that Ghostface is portrayed in this. And I get it. It's supposed to be a teen running around in a Halloween costume. But when the teen or when Ghostface is tripping over things all the time and flipping and flopping and tripping over stuff that's put in front of him. I get it. The mask is hard to see through. But when Ghostface trips more than the heroine that he's chasing, that to me is a problem. That takes all the menace out of the character. It also almost makes the character more buffoonish and clumsy and awkward. And there's nothing scary about clumsy and awkward. When I watched those first four Scream movies, I think of the way they satirized Ghostface in the Scary Movie franchise. And it just kind of uh, accentuated all the herky-jerky, flipping and flopping. Uh, you know, Ghostface is running down the hall kind of with his arms out, kind of waving him, look like one of those inflatable wacky wavers at a fucking car lot. It just, it, it looks ridiculous. And then he's tripping and falling. And then they do this maneuver because he's on the ground so fucking much is his only way to uh, attack a person is he does this uh, maneuver where he pulls the foot out from underneath somebody and then they do some prat fall. And like, there are some of these movies where it's this has happened like four and five, six fucking times. And I'm like, 
uh, it's just too much. You're making this character too stupid and too doofy, not to reference scary movie again, but it just, it, to me, Ghostface wasn't scary at all. It felt like a teenager running around in a Halloween costume that if somebody knew what they were doing, had their shit together, you put a bullet right between their eyes and bang, Bob's your uncle, no more Ghostface. And that's not a luxury you have with some of the super, more supernatural-leaning slasher movies. Now, that's not to say, you know, some of the first few Scream movies didn't have their good points. Like I said, the first Scream was original. It was doing something different that nobody had done before. Scream 2 was, eh. Scream 3, they're in Hollywood. They did change up the game a little bit, only having one ghost face. And there was a really fun Jay and Silent Bob cameo in that. Of course, Wes Craven doing the scream knockoff in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Uh, of course, uh, he returned the favor and cast them in a cameo in his movie, Scream 3, which uh, I believe Jay and Silent Bob came out uh, a few years earlier, but uh, better late than never. Scream 4 was... Uh, it was probably one of the more predictable out of all of them, knowing that uh, you know Sidney Prescott's cousin was the killer, and and it wasn't really hard to figure that one out. Although the Hayden Panettiere character Kirby was a big fan favorite, and of course Scream Five is where unfortunately Wes Craven passed away in 2015, and in 2022 they decided to do Scream Five, directed by uh, Tyler Gillette and Matt Bettinelli Open, who were part of the Radio Silence Productions uh, film production company. Uh, you may have seen some of the stuff they've done, of course. Bettinelli Open was director and writer and actor in the uh, VHS segment uh, 103198. Uh, he was also a producer in VHS 94. Tyler Gillette was also a part of that uh, VHS segment. But I really liked what they did in Scream 5. It, it, it still adhered to the same formula as the prior four Screams, uh, which I, I was okay with. But they did things a little different. You know, they had the Jen Ortega scene at the beginning. And that's one of the things Scream movies became uh, famous for, is having a, a well-known actress. It was in the very first one, it was Drew Barrymore. And, and she was really kind of pushed. I mean, she was front and center in all the, the movie posters and all the promotional artwork. You really thought she was going to be a main character, even though the trailer made you think, oh, there might be something going on. She might not make it, but you thought she was going to be a main character. And this is kind of the start of her renaissance. I mean, she never went away in Hollywood, but as far as like her, her big box office leading roles, this is kind of really what I think spearheaded that and jump-started that for her. But, you know, you had her in that first scene in Scream, this huge movie star, and she gets killed right away. And that kind of became a hallmark of Scream movies, where you, this you had that with Jenna Ortega. And she doesn't... She gets attacked, but she's not killed by Ghostface. And then the, the introduction of her sister, Samantha, that was a little different. The tone of the movie became less about humor through references to other movies, even though you do get a little humor and you do get a lot of references to other horror movies. It became less about that and more about a, a darker tone with Ghostface. Ghostface was more serious. Ghostface was doing less falling down and less of those, you know, pull the leg out from other somebody, uh, you know, maneuvers when he's chasing somebody it became more menacing like i said it's still kind of stuck to that similar formula of the previous four screams uh, but this one was a little different because there was the yeah of course there were red herrings and mr x 
uh, as to who Ghostface was, but there were things that were said and done in this that when you find out who the killers are, that you're like, oh yeah, I see they they did kind of reference that. They did kind of point to these people, and I should have known if you didn't already know. And I really like what they did with the Dewey character. I was not a big fan of the Dewey character. The Dewey character was uh, rather doofy, if you will. Another scary movie reference. But it felt like a parody of something. I don't know. I just, you know, it it just wasn't. The character didn't work for me. A nice, simple, naive, innocent guy. But it just, uh, I just didn't care for that character. Uh, it wasn't until Scream 5 where the character felt a little more serious. And they really gave him a, a good story. And, and he didn't need a redemption, but he was always kind of the bumbling cop in, in a lot of the movies that always got stabbed and you thought he was going to die and he always ended up coming back in another one. Whereas this, he sacrifices himself and David Arquette's character, Dewey, is is dead and after this one. And and it was, it was a nice little, uh, given the character, a little bit more of a serious story and to, to kind of fit and, and make you care about that, the end that he has. But that leads us to Scream 6, of course, again, uh, directed by uh, Gillette and Bettinelli Olpin. This one takes us out of Woodsboro. Scream 1 was in Woodsboro. Uh, Scream 2 was in college, but you have to imagine that wasn't very far from Woodsboro. They're still in California. Scream 3 is in Hollywood, but they're making a movie about Scream. They're making the Stab movie that is constantly referenced throughout this franchise, and they're on a set that looks like Woodsboro. Uh, Scream 4, they go back to Woodsboro. Scream 5 is in Woodsboro. Scream 6, they they take us out of Woodsboro. They take us out of California. We're all the way on the East Coast and in New York City, where our two main actresses from Scream 5, uh, Melissa Barrera as Sam Carpenter and Jenna Ortega as Tara Carpenter, are going to college, or at least uh, Tara Carpenter is. I don't know if Sam's actually going to college. She's getting therapy, but but they're there with their friends, uh, Mindy Meeks Martin and Chad Meeks Martin, played by uh, Jasmine Savoy Brown and Mesa Gooding, Cuba Gooding Jr.'s uh, son, who are carryovers from Scream 5, the Chad Meeks Martin character, miraculously so. And, and we'll get into to one of my gripes about that in, in a little bit, but when you first see the trailer, about Ghostface going to New York. It obviously draws parallels to Jason Takes Manhattan, Jason coming to the Big Apple, New York City. And at first I was like, oh no, I have no interest in seeing this movie. But then once I started seeing more about this, the more I saw, uh, the more trailers I watched, I was like, okay, this may be something I need to check out. And and I watched Scream 6 and I quite enjoyed it. To me, it was the best of all the Scream movies. Now, if you haven't watched Scream 6, I probably should have said this before I said a lot of shit about the other movies, but uh, if you haven't watched Scream 6, uh, there are going to be a lot of spoilers in this. I, I can't talk about the movie without talking about it, and I'm not going to hold back. So if you haven't watched Scream 6 and you don't want anything spoiled for you, uh, please go watch the movie, then come back and listen to the podcast. But if you you have watched it or you don't really care about spoilers or you're like me, you're like, I don't want to watch this movie, and you don't care if something's spoiled for you, but you want to see if maybe, uh, maybe it might be worth a watch as a horror fan, keep on Keep it on. We're going to talk about Scream 6, but I said, as I said, spoilers from here on out. Now, one of the things I liked about this is that it, it really kind of 
toyed with the whole idea of the Scream movies from the past, where you have uh, a big star or a quasi-big star uh, getting killed off right off the bat. Now, it wasn't a big star, but it was an actress that... Uh, you may be familiar with Samara Weaving. She was in Bill and Ted Face the Music. She was in Babysitter Killer Queen. She played Scarlet in Snake Eyes. But she is actually the niece of actor Hugo Weaving. So that was kind of a, a neat little thing I found out. But you have her. She's at this bar waiting for this blind date. She gets a phone call from the blind date. He's he's not sure where he's at. Oh, he's he's the block over. Hey, could you come out? I, I'm not seeing where this bar is. Hey, I'm at the end of this alley. Do you see me? And, and of course, she walks into the alley, breaking all the cardinal rules of horror. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere is Ghostface. And Ghostface does her in, stabbing her violently. Now, the one thing that really happens that I'm like, oh, shit, I haven't seen this in a Scream movie is that after Ghostface stabs uh, the Samara Weaving character, uh, she plays a character, a professor, uh, a film professor at Blackmore University where all our lead characters are going to school, but she plays Laura Crane, who's a professor there. And after she is killed, Ghostface takes off his mask and we see that it's Tony Revolori. Of course, you know him from Spider-Man. He's in the new Willow series, uh, but do a lot of work. I really like him as an actor. And and this is probably one of those uh, roles that I, I didn't expect him. I knew he was in this movie. I didn't expect him in this sort of a role. And it was really interesting uh, to see him play this character. But he goes back to his apartment where his uh, his partner is, is not there and he's looking for him. And then all of a sudden he gets a call from what he thinks is his partner and we find out it is the real ghost face and he finds out his partner's cut up into pieces in the refrigerator and then ghost face does his ghost face thing and it to me it was kind of interesting because you think that the samara weaving her being killed by tony revelori as the as ghost face is the big opening kill but when in all actuality because in past it's been a huge female star that is killed and then not that tony revelori is a huge star but he is a known star now i mean after his work with all the spider-man films uh, people know who he is as an actor and to have him be the the big star that is killed right away when like i said I knew he was in the movie. I didn't realize he was in the movie in this capacity. And then to, to find out that he is in this movie in this capacity and is taken care of quite early in this fashion. It was different. It was something new and a twist on an old formulaic thing that the Scream movies have become almost boringly known for. But then this is what really jumps off uh, and jump starts all the ghost face killings in New York City. So from here on out, now that we've kind of really established the movie, we're gonna we're gonna talk about the characters. Uh, not every single character, but we're gonna talk uh, about a good many of them uh, just briefly. I'm not gonna get into too many de too much detail because I talked a lot about the other movies uh, prior to this, but I do want to really establish kind of the principles, uh, the principal characters, the actors who play them, and where they're at in this story. And of course, first and foremost, you have uh, Melissa Barrera as Sam Carpenter. And I really love the fact that they name her, her last name is Carpenter, uh, obviously, as a lot of 
Now, last names in the Scream movies are references to other horror actors or directors or characters. You've got Sam Carpenter, of course, obviously a reference to John Carpenter. In part five, we find out that she is the daughter of Billy Loomis. Of course, Loomis, uh, Dr. Loomis from the Halloween movies. And of course, you take uh, what her real name would have been, Sam Loomis, that is Dr. Loomis's name. So that that was really kind of fun. But you've got her and her sister, Tara, who is going to... Tara's going to this Blackmore University. Uh, Sam is more there just protecting her. After the events of Part 5, she just doesn't want to let her sister go and, and wants to be there to watch over her, almost at an overprotective rate. Now, as we find out in this Scream movie, it's not that overprotective if she really needs it, but uh, but we don't start out there. But the Sam Carpenter character is is going through therapy. She's seeing visions of her, her dead father, Billy Loomis. Of course, we saw that in part five where they did this very very bad de-aging on Skeet Ulrich to make him look like he did back in 96 of course you know part five came out in 2022 so that was uh yeah the de-aging wasn't uh, wasn't that great on it I, I noticed in this one they didn't do the de-aging on him when they when they showed him but they didn't show him as plainly as they did in part five and this they kind of held back and they only showed ski auric in like reflections reflections and knives reflections in glass so you only got like shattered fractured uh, images of his face that sam is talking to which which i thought was a better way to do it it didn't matter if he looked you know his actual age now and not like he did back in 1996 i just think it worked a lot better not showing him as much and only showing uh, fragmented images of him going back and forth with the sam character but you've got sam who is looking after her sister she's secretly secretly banging the guy across in the building across from her or i don't know how this this whole apartment complex, the configuration of it. I think they may actually be in the same building, but they have uh, like a little courtyard area where they can see uh, through each other's windows. But that character is Danny Brackett, who's played by Josh Segarra. Uh, kind of a, you know, big, tall, strapping lad. He seems like the the tough hero. He seems like he'd be a hero of a movie, but he is sidelined so many times in this movie that you think, okay, he's going to come in and save the day, and he, he doesn't really until the very end when he gets the opportunity to call the cops and bring the cavalry once all all is said and done in the movie but uh but really relegated to kind of being just a, a background character for the most part i have to imagine if they do a seven he'll show up in that of course there's the jen ortega character tara carpenter she's a young girl going to school uh not dealing with how things went down in part five back in woodsboro uh she she was attacked brutally attacked and spent most of part five in a hospital bed or running around in a wheelchair and and just all banged up cut up broken ankle all that jazz and she's not dealing with that trauma very well at least sam is trying to get therapy tara doesn't want to admit that it affected her more than she did she just thinks that if she goes out and parties and, and gets drunk and bangs guys and 
overdoes it with quote unquote normal life that she'll get past the trauma that she went through. Now, of course, we get a couple characters brought back from part five, the Mindy and Chad Meeks Martin character. Of course, these are the uh, nephew and niece, twin nephew and niece of Randy Meeks, uh, played by Jamie Kennedy in part one and part two. He had like a, a brief cameo through a video cassette in part three, but they were part of the big, uh, you know, ghost face attack at the, the party. There's always a party <laughs> in a screen movie where ghost face shows up and attacks. Now the Mindy character didn't get stabbed as bad in that party. So it makes sense that she survived from five to six, but the Chad character and, and I get it that they didn't want to lose because Mason Gooding and Jasmine Savoy Brown both did a really good job in part five. I think they made the mini character uh, because in part five, she is very much the Randy character. She is the movie expert, a horror movie expert. She is the one that's coming up with the rules in part five. She reprises that in part six. Talking about in five, this is the requel, the reboot slash sequel. In part six, it's, oh, we're no longer in a requel. We're in a franchise. Well, this is sixth movie. It's gone beyond franchise a long time ago. So I didn't like that distinction that they were making with that. But uh, yeah, like it's a little late to call this a franchise. But at any rate, we're going by franchise rules. And she kind of explains all of that. Now, the Chad character, uh, played by Mason Gooding, uh, he got cut up pretty bad in part five. And I just don't understand how he survived part six. And and these two characters in this movie both get the shit stabbed out of them. There's no way they should have survived again. But as uh, spoiler alert, and uh, you, you've already been warned, you know the deal. Uh, they survive again in this when they probably shouldn't have. Chad definitely shouldn't have survived five. Shouldn't have survived six, but he did. Jasmine could have survived five she shouldn't have survived six after what happened. And we'll, we'll kind of talk about that because that was one of the scariest fucking scenes in this movie. But yeah, I, I, I like those characters. I get why you want to keep them around. Mason Gooding is great as Chad. Uh, he's enjoyable. He's charming. He's likable. Uh, the Mindy character is likable, although she was a little more annoying in this one than she was in, in part five. I liked her more in part five. In this one, she was just kind of obnoxious because they were trying to make her more of a comic relief character. And I just, I just didn't like that turn for her. Then we get a couple new characters that are introduced. There's the Quinn character. She is a uh, roommate of Tara and Sam. She's kind of like the slutty girl. You can't call them slutty anymore. That's slut shaming. Uh, she is the promiscuous uh, girl played by Liana Liberato, and and she does a good job of kind of playing that meek and innocent. Well, not she's neither meek nor innocent, but she kind of has that just sweet girl next door face. But she's banging the hell out of multiple guys, <laughs> and so she has kind of a really small, unassuming role in this. When Ghostface attacks the apartment. We see her, we don't see her attacked, but we see her uh, being thrown out the door with her throat slit. And if there's anything I learned, especially after part three with the Roman Bridger character, if you don't see the fucking kill, it didn't happen. And I should have known that going into this. Uh, I think on a subconscious level, I maybe did realize this, but that's what happens with her character. She is the daughter of of the Wayne Bailey character. He is the lead detective 
on this Ghostface case in New York, uh, investigating the the deaths of the Tony Revolori character and and his his partner uh, from earlier in the movie. But Dermot Mulroney plays the Wayne Bailey character. We're also introduced to Jack Champion as Ethan Landry. He's another student at Blackmore. He is Chad's roommate and kind of a another one of those nerdy film you know horror film buffs. They're all kind of studying film at this this college. Again, very nerdy, very quiet, very unassuming, very much derivative of another character that we saw in Scream 4, the Charlie Walker character played by Rory Culkin. Very unassuming. And if you're unassuming in a Scream movie, uh, that's when people should start being assuming. Uh, again, we'll kind of get into the, the revelations of all that. And then, of course, uh, Dewey's no longer with us. Nev Campbell had a dispute with the studio. She didn't feel like they were going to pay her enough to be a part of this. And I, I, I can see it from both sides. Uh, first and foremost, yeah, you're trying to you're trying to move this franchise on from her, but still appeal to the to the hardcore old school fans and and have her in it, kind of like what they did with five. They didn't need her in part five, honestly. I mean, her character didn't really do anything. Uh, her and the Gale character were both just kind of there to be there and show up at the end and just have Gail Weathers and Sidney Prescott in the finale of Scream 5. Uh, that's that's all they were there for. So should she get top billing? Should she get top dollar for a character that is no longer the focus of the franchise? Uh, no, but also on the same token, uh, she has been the focus of this franchise for a long time. She has been the, other than Ghostface, she has been the face of this franchise for a long time. And I can understand how she feels that she deserves to be paid like that. So, yeah, I, I see both sides. And I, I think ultimately this movie didn't need Sidney Prescott in it. They mentioned her. Uh, maybe she'll show up in another one. Who knows? Uh, but I don't think it needed her. I don't even know if it needed the Gail Weathers character. But we did get Courtney Cox reprising her role as Gail Weathers. Of course, she's still doing the talk show she was doing in part five. There again, just uh, really felt like a legacy character that was just there to provide that face from the original few films. The thing I do like about this character, though, is this character is uh, self-described a bitch. And she makes no bones about it. And she owns that. You know, Courtney Cox is an actress and Gail Weathers as the character own that, that they are going to do what they have to do to get ahead and, and do what they feel is right for them and, and their career and everything else be damned. Now, it, it feels like it is that same story every movie. She is the hard-nosed, ball-busting bee, and then she has a turn of heart and realizes that she needs to be nicer to Dewey, and they can make a life together, and then the next one, she has moved away because she's going to focus on her career again, and then she has a soft heart and falls back in love with Dewey, and they're going to live together in Woodsboro, and then the next movie, she's back off in, in some big city uh, doing reporting, and it's just it's the same thing over and over again at least with this we don't get the you know dewey's gone so we don't get that regression back to the old love interest that we had before uh the only thing i thought i really thought they were going to kill off the gail weathers character in this and they didn't and i thought that was that's kind of where you needed to go gail weathers can't be there forever 
you can only have so many women in this franchise, the Sidney Prescotts, the Jen Ortegas, the Melissa Barreras. You can only have so many women punch her and it hold the same cachet. Sooner or later, the character becomes a caricature of itself and is just not interesting anymore. And especially when, you know, uh, this character has been relegated to a smaller and smaller roles over the past couple movies. Uh, this one, I, I think she had a little more to do in this one than she did in part five. But still, uh, they could have cut this character completely and it wouldn't have hurt the film at all. Not anything against Courtney Cox. I thought she did a really good... I think she does a great job with this role. Over After all these films, the only, the only actor that has been in all six of these Scream films... She's now becoming more of a face of the franchise than than the Sidney Prescott, uh, Nev Campbell character. But all the principal characters survive in this. And to me, that's probably one of the bigger shortcomings of this movie. And of course, Roger L. Jackson reprises his role as the voice of Ghostface. Uh, you know, I, I, that's another thing I, I have not liked about Ghostface is that it just sounds like a, a voice actor voicing these this bad guy. And it's supposedly this little, little voice box is changing everybody's voice to Roger L. Jackson's voice. And it just seems kind of silly. Yeah, I get that after the events of Scream 1. Of course, this was just a Halloween costume off the department store rack. They didn't even really make this special for the movie. It was just something they bought. And it was a, it was a Halloween costume you could buy even before the movie. So it, it makes sense to say that the Halloween costume would still be available all over the country. It would be safe to say that after the press on the Woodsboro murders after Scream 1, that some sycophants and some some messed up people would think it'd be cool to dress up as Ghostface for Halloween. I get the fact that that is, you know, Ghostface costume is now a thing in popular culture in within the confines of this the cinematic world. But the the voice box that has the Roger L. Jackson voice that uh, is apparently just readily available at at any Walmart or Target or wherever. Why would Ghostface always go with the same voice? How would anybody even know? outside of the principal characters that actually talk to Ghostface, would they know what that voice sounded like or, or what voice modulator to buy to have that, that same Ghostface voice? I've never understood that. And one of my, one of my many problems with the Ghostface character. So ultimately, as, as we kind of wrap up talking about the characters, and I wish I could have gone into more detail on some of them because, I, like I said, I really enjoyed a lot of the performances, especially Jenna Ortega, uh, Courtney Cox, uh, Melissa Barrera. I think uh, for not really knowing much about her, I think she's a, she, I enjoy watching her more than I ever enjoyed watching Nev Campbell in the original few screen movies. I enjoy Melissa Barrera's performance more than I enjoyed Nev Campbell's. Nev Campbell's felt like uh, TV show acting. Melissa Barrera, hers feels more cinematic. Jenna Ortega's character, Tara, sounds feels more cinematic because she is a, a bona fide movie star now. But you have this setup where Ghostface is after 
Sam and Tara again in New York City. You don't really have a body count like you did before. Uh, of course, you have the two guys that were posing as Ghostface at the beginning of the movie. You seemingly have the Quinn character killed at one point in the movie when Ghostface attacks the apartment. You also have the uh, Nika character played by Devin Nakoda. Uh, she is the Mindy character's girlfriend. She she dies, but in a, a really crazy way. She's been stabbed by Ghostface, but they're trying to to get from their apartment through a window across a a ladder to the Danny character's apartment, the guy played by Josh Segura. Of course, Sam gets across. I think Tara gets across. I can't remember if she's there or not. Mindy gets across, and Anika is halfway across this ladder, and Ghostface grabs the other end, and he's shaking and, and, and wobbling, and she falls and, and splats on the ground. That was an interesting kill, different from all the other ones. But other than that, those are the only people that really die in this movie. As far as principal characters, you have Gail Weathers' boyfriend dies, but you don't even know who he is. You have Sam's therapist, played by Henry Zerny. I'm probably butchering that last name. I apologize. But there again, not a main character, but he's killed. So you have a, a body count, but it's all characters that really didn't matter. Or at least you think they don't matter. I will say when the therapist is killed, that was a really creepy scene because he's got this glass front door and somebody's knocking as Ghostface does, knocks, but doesn't, you know, when they say who's there, never answers. Uh, but you see this kind of silhouette, this dark silhouette, uh, almost looking like Ghostface Hood. You're, you're pretty sure it's him. But then when the therapist goes up to the door, the, the image behind becomes clear as Ghostface steps forward and you see that uh, that ghost face mask through the kind of frosted glass and then the mayhem ensues and the therapist is uh, dispatched of but but that was a really creepy scene they set it up really well with tension and I think that's the one thing they do better in six and and maybe so in five but they don't really do as well in the rest of the screen movies is they set up tension really well with these kills and and really added to the creepy and added to the horror. Uh, the one character I didn't talk about, we'll talk about briefly, the Hayden uh, Panettiere character, uh, Kirby Reed from Part 4. Uh, she was she was stabbed in Part 4, but never confirmed to be killed in that movie. And of course, they brought her back saying that she, she did die for a few minutes, but they brought her back and she went on to join the FBI. And she's there as an FBI agent trying to help uh, once she heard about uh, the ghost face killings uh, coming up again. And ultimately, it is just a lot of running around New York, uh, you know, trying to evade Ghostface, trying to figure out how to to get Ghostface. I do like the idea that they decided, uh, very much like Halloween uh, from 2018, they decide they're going to lure him into a trap and, and trap him in this kill box, this like little sanctuary that um, we're, we're led to believe the Tony Revolori character and his friend, uh, his partner, built but there's actually a, a bit of a bigger backstory to that, which we'll get into once we talk about the reveals. But they, they decide to lead them into there, and they do, but it goes haywire. There's a big mislead uh, red herring that makes you think that the Hayden Penitieri character is Ghostface, and then you find out that, that she's not, but not before finding out that there's not one, not two, but three, count them, three ghost face in this movie. Uh, technically two ghost face and, and one, but we find out that Walter Bailey, 
uh, played by Dermot Mulrooney. He is the detective uh, leading this investigation. He is behind all this with his two children. Drum roll, please. No, no drum roll. The Quinn Bailey character played by Liana Liberato. Uh, we thought she was killed. We saw her throat had been slashed, but of course they say a lot of prosthetics and special effects makeup. Apparently you can do uh, top quality special effects work in just a matter of mere minutes to to make people think somebody's throat's been slashed. And of course, father, daughter, but there is a secret son. Yes, the Jack Champion character, Ethan Landry, is actually the son of Wayne Bailey. And we find out that why are they after uh, Sam and Tara? Well, because there was a third Bailey sibling, Richie Kirsch, who is played by Jack Quaid in part five. And he is the, he was one of the two ghost face in part five. And of course, Sam had killed him. And I like how they, they mentioned she stabbed him. I can't remember if it was 21 or 22 times. When I watched part five, after watching part six, I, I counted. And yes, she did stab him 21 or 22 times before slashing his throat. But that is the reason why this family, uh, the Baileys, are, are after Tara and Sam uh, because they killed Wayne's son, Quinn and Ethan's older brother. And they had a big, they, you know, there's this big fight, big chase scene, everyone stabbing everyone. Uh, it, it was quite enjoyable, quite uh, quite interesting because it was in essentially this old abandoned theater that they're they're doing this in. Very, very appropriate for a movie that is kind of a, a parody or a satire, very meta, as the kids say, in the world of horror that you're a horror movie. And this horror movie isn't taking place in a theater where horror movies would be shown. But the Quinn and Ethan characters are, are both killed off. And then it is a final showdown between the Wayne character and Sam. And and throughout part five and throughout part six, like I've said before, the Samantha Carpenter character is seeing visions of her father, Billy Loomis. And he is telling her to embrace her heritage and, and essentially trying to get her to become a serial killer like him. Well, she she kind of held that at bay in part one or, you know, in, in part five, the first of the uh, Samantha Carpenter movies until she kills Richie Kirsch character, stabbing him like a slasher killer. And in this one, she finally gives in and yeah, that's her way to defeat these monsters is to become a monster herself, essentially what it boils down to. And she puts on the ghost face costume and stalks the Wayne Bailey character until she does him in Ghostface style, which was interesting. One of the kind of one of the things they're they're toying with this idea of Samantha Carpenter, the daughter of Billy Loomis, uh, embracing the serial killer within her, and Billy wants her to become the new Ghostface and continue his legacy. She's fighting that because she is a good person, but you wonder how far this is going to go before she actually snaps and does turn into Ghostface. Uh, I think it's an interesting thing they might delve into in the next, uh, I don't know what their plans are for uh, how many more they're going to do with the Sam and Tara characters, but uh, that would be interesting to see where they go with that. But then when it's all said and done, of course, uh, Sam and Tara are both uh, a little worse for wear, but they're fine. Uh, the Hayden Panettiere character, Kirby, she's fine. Uh, Mindy and Chad are both fine. Uh, you know, all the all the principal characters that were the heroes of the movie all survived and it just really didn't feel like there was any stakes for them 
And I'm hoping if they show up in another one, uh, one of the two, Chad or Mindy, should have died in part five. The other one probably should have died in this one. Uh, I think the Mindy should have died. She got stabbed brutally. In, and we're going to talk about some of my favorite scarier scenes because this one probably had more scares in it than any other Scream movie. But that's probably one of my biggest gripes is, you know, the Courtney Cox character. Gail Weathers didn't die. Mindy didn't die. Chad didn't die. Kirby didn't die. Uh, you, you expected the Sam and Tara characters to survive this, at least for now. One of them probably has to go, or, or maybe it comes down to something where in maybe a future installment, seven, maybe eight, uh, they do something where Samantha is ghost-faced and she's stalking her sister. And it's a sister versus sister thing, which I think would be a, a really interesting dynamic for this franchise to, to kind of uh, go down. But, you know, they, they've really protected a lot of the fan favorites uh, for, for so many years. So I, I don't know if they would actually go down that route, have the balls to go down that route. It seems like these new directors, Matt Bettinelli-Olpin and Tyler Gillette, uh, it, it seems like they're willing to go different places with this than Wes Craven was willing to go down and, and to give this a darker tone than Wes Craven was was willing to do. Uh, so who knows? We, we may actually see that. But uh, right now, I do want to talk about some of the, the scarier moments of this movie. And I thought there was a couple really big ones. Uh, first and foremost, that scene at the very beginning with Samara Weaving and Tony Revolori, uh, that whole opening sequence was really creepy and really jarring. And and when you had uh, Ghostface, uh, you know, our first time seeing him in this movie and the brutality and the anger with which uh, he killed her and that, and that anger and that brutality continued on into the real ghost face. I mean, that, that, the real ghost face in this movie had even more anger. You had Tony Revolori and his partner, which, you know, the, he, Tony Revolori was upset with this professor because she gave him a C minus or, or something like that on a paper. So it was a crime of, of passion, a crime of anger. But then once you get into the real ghost face and you see how much more anger is involved, it all makes sense in hindsight when you find out that this ghost face is either uh, Detective Bailey or or one of his two siblings who are doing these things, trying to, to kill the Carpenter sisters because Samantha Carpenter killed their son or brother. That sort of anger also makes sense. But but that first scene with uh, Samara Weaving and, and Tony Revolori was, was quite creepy. Uh, you know, dark alleys are, are really creepy. And then Ghostface coming out of nowhere was was quite startling. And that's one of the things I, I never really liked about the other Scream movies is that sometimes you would see Ghostface running from behind the person like a 40-yard dash, and then they finally get there practically out of breath and then kill somebody. And that's not scary. When, you know, I don't want a bunch of shitty jump scares, but I do want something to surprise me. Or, you know, just seeing Ghostface running up nonchalantly uh, there's nothing scary about this. This to have Ghostface come out of nowhere, not really done as a jump scare, but to have him come out of nowhere and, and attack the Samara Weaving character was quite scary and, and gave you a little bit of start to begin with. Uh, probably one of the scariest scenes in the movie was the subway scene. They only tease it uh, a little bit in the trailer. But it plays out so much longer than it does in the trailer. And it plays out for a long time because this group of friends that are trying to get 
to this theater to create this kill box to, to trap Ghostface, uh, they get separated and are on different subway trains. Uh, it's the main group and then the Mindy and Ethan character are on another subway. And Mindy has been spending you know, this whole time uh, accusing Ethan of being the killer. And and he actually was one of the killers. So it, it was... It was kind of funny because, you know, there again, it was another thing where all all signs led to and pointed to who the killers were. The Quinn Bailey character talking about how her brother died not too long ago. Uh, Detective Bailey talking about the same thing. It was kind of like in part five where Jack Quaid and the girl who played Amber, the other ghost face, are, are in the hospital room with, with Tara. And they're both accusing each other of being ghost face and being the killer when they were both the killer and they were in it together in cahoots. Uh, so it, it kind of felt like that. But but this scene played out so creepy because on these subway trains, you know, it's Halloween and everybody is wearing masks, but you have smattered about in the crowd people wearing ghost face masks, and you're spending the whole time wondering, okay, which one of them's ghost face? Is you know we know there's usually two ghost face. Is there one in each train? And and you get some kind of red herrings as to who it might be, and and you get the uh, Josh Segura kind of stepping up to one guy, uh, thinking he's ghost face, as the guy kind of uh, does an about face and and goes out the uh, the subway door. But then we find out that the one on the train with Mindy and Ethan is Ghostface, And he's sitting there and all of a sudden he's looking at Mindy, who's kind of keeping her distance from Ethan. So he can't even help. Not that he would because, you know, he's he's obviously one of the killers as well. But it's this really cool effect. It was kind of like the uh, motion sensor light in Halloween 2018, which one of the only real scary things in that movie. The lights in the subway are going on and off just because of the the train rattling and whatnot and and the uh, lights outside and the tunnels and things like that but uh you have this scene where the lights go out and when the lights come back on ghost faces a little closer and then they go out for a little bit and you're like oh my god where is he and then he's a little closer and then they go out and come back on and he's nowhere to be found. Oh my God, where'd he go? The lights go out and come back on and he's right there on top of Mindy and, and stabs her uh, repeatedly in the in the stomach, in the abdomen. And it was just so creepy and so chilling. It was probably one of the scariest, most tension-building scenes I've ever seen in a Scream movie. Because for the most part, in one through four, I can even add five in there, five uh, was a little creepy at some points, but at least one through four, none of the scenes really scared me. None of the scenes with Ghostface really scared me at all. Not even one, which probably of the original four Scream movies, one was probably the best. And if you could say one of them was scary, that was probably one of the scarier ones. But it still wasn't that scary. Five, they started to make Ghostface a little more menacing. Uh, they stopped with the herky-jerky, you know, wacky waver, inflatable car lot arm waving that he does when he chases people. They did away with that and started making him more menacing. This one, they made him more menacing. They made him more, uh, not violent, because Ghostface has always been violent, uh, but it was more brutal, more angry. And in this one, they made him more scary. They did scenes like this that were quite scary. When he's stalking the girls inside that bodega, that was that was scary. You know, uh, I, I really liked the treatment of Ghostface in this. Did they back off on the 
the comedy and did they back off on the meta-ness? Uh, yeah, they did a little bit. And then they added more menace, which made this feel like a, a legit slasher movie, a legit scary horror movie. You still had the meta stuff. You still had the self-aware stuff. You, you still had them making fun of things about horror movies that they themselves were doing in this horror movie, much like they've done with all the other Scream movies. Uh, there's a lot of you know references to the Stab movies and criticizing those when, when all the Stab movies inside this cinematic universe are just parodies of and, and satires of of the movie you're watching. But I think they took Ghostface a little more serious in this and they really amped it up. I think they took Ghostface more serious in five and they raised the bar on that in, in part six and actually made this a very enjoyable movie. Now, where there's some things that didn't make sense, of course, uh, you sit there and, and they talk about, oh, you shouldn't do this in a horror movie and you shouldn't do that in a horror movie and you shouldn't do the other thing in a horror movie and they still do those things anyway. Which, uh, you know, that, that to me is very ironic. But you have characters that uh, should be dead, given the, the injuries. You know, Chad, again, took multiple stab wounds all over his body, yet again. And he still survives. I, I don't get that. I like the character. You know, that's probably one of the, the things they've done right throughout the Scream franchise. Is that, uh, I know Kevin Williamson didn't write five and six, but one through four, uh, he writes friendships and he writes characters that are likable because he's used to working in TV. He's used to working in Dawson's Creek where they're not going to kill these characters off. So you have to be able to like these characters from Jump Street and you have to like them through the duration of this series. And so he writes characters, he writes friendships very well. Uh, all the characters are likable. That's one of the things throughout these screen movies is most all the characters, you don't want to see them become Ghostface uh, and you don't want to see them die. And, and I get that, but it's a horror movie and somebody's got to die. And and I just, I don't like that they've, you know, you've had all this plot protection on the Mindy and Chad characters uh, through and, and the Gail character in this one. She probably should have died in this and, and she didn't. And that was a little bit of a disappointment is that, you know, there was no... No stakes because nobody was going to be killed. Nobody of any importance was going to be killed in this movie. But ultimately, I really enjoyed this movie. I loved the the look of it, the feel of it. I liked the change of scenery. I felt very much that this movie was going to be uh, like a big knockoff of Jake Jason Takes Manhattan. And, and it really didn't feel that. It didn't feel kind of like the jumping of the shark, which which Jason Takes Manhattan felt. Uh, you know, this, this movie, this franchise really did need to leave Woodsboro because ultimately Woodsboro is not the star. Uh, Woodsboro is not the main focus of the movie. You don't need to be in Woodsboro. And Woodsboro wasn't even featured in two and in three, technically in three, uh, even though the sets were built to look like Woodsboro. So I, I didn't mind that they took it out of Woodsboro. That, that to me was never... I was never attached to these movies because I didn't watch them uh, until just recently. So uh, to me, Woodsboro wasn't a deal breaker. The fact that they were taking this to New York City just made the world bigger. It, it made you realize how much bigger and how much the the mythos of Ghostface had spread from Woodsboro out in California to all the way to the Big Apple and the phenomenon of Ghostface. And that just kind of creates a, a bigger world for this event to happen in that it's not just confined to this one little town. You can't just leave Woodsboro like 
like Sidney Prescott did. You can't just leave Woodsboro and leave all this behind. It's going to follow you. And that was interesting to me. The fact that they they grew this world like this with, with just this one simple move to New York City. I love the the characters. I thought they were really good. I, I really like the actors who played them. Melissa Barrera and Jenna Ortega are just phenomenal as these two sisters, Sam and, and Tara Carpenter. Uh, they really have a movie quality feel to their performances, which I, I just didn't get with with Nev Campbell in the first four Scream movies. There's a lot of characters you really like. The the Mindy and Chad characters, you really like them. Uh, they've survived too long. I, I really don't like that they've given them such plot protection in this, but but they are good actors. They do You do like these characters, even though the Mindy character got a little more annoying in this one than she was in part five. You like the characters. Even the Courtney Cox, Gail Weathers character. Uh, you, you like this character. You like her her spunkiness and you like her brashness and you like that she's not a you know she's not going to take shit from anyone she's going to take a punch like a champ and she's going to do what she has to do to to help put an end to Ghostface. You, you like that but when they had a chance to to give her a good ending they pushed out on that maybe in the next one i don't know maybe courtney cox just wants to play gail weathers forever and she's uh, you know I, I i dare say she doesn't have any say in it but uh but i would like to think that you know maybe at some point she's like you know let's let's give and, and I get it. Maybe because they did Dewey in and Fart Part 5. Maybe that's why they wanted to wait another one before they did that for the Gale Weathers character. Because sooner, sooner or later, you have to move on from these characters. Uh, you know, the original core characters. Because they're all getting a lot older now. And it just doesn't have the same appeal as it did before. Because we've seen it time and time again with Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, David Arquette. Sooner or later, you got to move past that. It's what a lot of, you know, it's what uh, Michael Myers and, and the Halloween franchise just has had a hard time doing. That's why they, they've done so many reboots, because they want to keep going back to the same same old characters. And that's just, you're, you're not doing your franchise any favors. Child's Play with the new uh, Chucky series is the only one that's really kind of pulled off bringing back the old characters and hanging on to them in a way that that seems relevant and and seems to work. But I've loved the characters. I love the the actors. They've got some really solid acting in this this new kind of core cast. Uh, I really love the look and the tone of this movie. The the movie felt darker. It felt grittier without being cliche darker and grittier like you get with a lot of movies that quote unquote go dark and gritty. It just it's like, uh, okay, I see what you're doing here. This is very heavy-handed. Where this didn't feel like they were trying to go darker and grittier, but it did kind of have darker tones to it. Like I said, Ghostface is no longer the bumbling Keystone Cops, Pratfall type of of slasher. It's more deliberate. He's he's more focused. You know, he's he's more angry in in how he kills, and and the kills were. Some of them are really good. My God, some of the some of the uh, stab scenes uh, between four, five and six—they've uh, just done some things that just come across. They're not overtly more violent than the other four movies, but they they are a little gorier, a little more violent. Uh, not leaps and bounds, just enough to make this this new version of Ghostface feel more menacing, feel scarier. And, and like I said, the darker tone uh, of Ghostface uh, doesn't feel so comic. 
in his movements and and the way he kills people and the way he does things and the way he runs after people with his arms all flapping and waving, uh, which just looks ridiculous. Uh, this new iteration of Ghostface feels scarier, and that's that's a movie I want to watch. I don't want to watch a horror movie that is so steeped in comedy that it takes me out of the horror, but not so steeped in it that it's not considered a horror comedy because I've never considered Scream a horror comedy. It just felt more like satire. This doesn't feel as much like satire as it is uh, a horror movie with undertones of satire with that bit of self-awareness, with that bit of uh, the meta quality that you get with Scream films. So uh, really, this is probably, like I said, the first Scream film I've really loved. Now, I like I said, when I watched part six, I hadn't watched part five yet. I didn't watch that till the next day. I liked that too, but this one is the first Scream film. Uh, part six is the first one that I really loved and really enjoyed. And makes me kind of excited to see where they're going to go in part seven, if they get to a part seven. I have to imagine they're uh, probably making money hand over fist uh, in this movie. So I have to imagine we're going to get a part seven. And I'm kind of excited to see where they're going to go with that. Are they going to delve a little more into the Sam character possibly becoming Ghostface? Are we going to see a Sam versus Tara, Ghostface versus Final Girl showdown? Uh, I don't know. It just depends on how dark they want to take this. Uh, but really, I think for the first time in a long time, uh, I'm excited to see a, a Scream movie, and I'm excited to see where the story goes. So I want to thank everyone for listening to my thoughts on uh, Scream 6. I didn't really talk about the writers, uh, James Vanderbilt and uh, Guy Busick. Fantastic job. I, I really like the story. Like I said, a, a few little plot holes here, but but much like 5, there was enough breadcrumbs laid out that you could figure out who the who the killers were. Uh, maybe not in entirety, but you had enough there that you were given the opportunity to know who the killer is or killers are. And if you didn't, when you when you finally get the reveal, you're like, oh, yeah, I should have seen it here or I should have seen it there. Not this out of the blue creating relationships that were never hinted at or teased at before uh, shit that they've done in previous Scream movies. So hats off to the writers as well as the directors, the cast. Uh, everyone did a fantastic job. The look of this cinematography I thought was spectacular. Uh, probably one of the scarier scream movies and that's saying a lot because well maybe it's not saying much because uh one through four weren't scary at all five would have had some some moments but it still adhered to a lot of the same formulaic things that the other four did but this part six probably one of the scariest if not the scariest and the best of all the Scream movies uh, for my money. So I want to thank everyone for listening to my thoughts on Scream 6. If you haven't checked it out, check it out in theaters uh, or, or wait till it gets on streaming. Who, who knows? Uh, it'll probably be on Paramount uh, Plus in the not-too-distant future if you want to wait and watch it in the comfort of your own home. Uh, but I want to thank everyone who, who listened to my thoughts and hopefully you enjoyed the movie as much as I did. And if you haven't watched it, hopefully you enjoy it when you finally do get to see it. But I want to thank everyone for tuning in, listening to my thoughts. You can check out more on Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop on our Facebook page. We're always posting trailers and articles we find all around the internet uh, about horror, fantasy, and science fiction. I like to add my two cents. Uh, check us out on Instagram as well. No matter where you listen to this podcast, please follow it, subscribe to it, like it. 
share the episodes with anyone you know that loves horror, fantasy, and science fiction. That's the way we get the word out. And no matter what you do, please leave a review. Five stars would be awesome, but whatever review you leave, we do appreciate that. So until next time. Thank you for visiting Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Ha 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 ha!